0: This is your guest host, Sergey Ross, and you are listening to Product Innovation Show. Every week, our guests come and share their stories and wisdom how to ship a great product. And today I'm here with Musa Kiris. He's a growth product manager at Growth Sandwich, which is an agency, not a restaurant, which you might have thought. He knows a lot about customer research and delivers insights that can help you build a better product. And that's why he's here today. jealous awesome to have you here. <gasps>
1: Awesome to be here. I appreciate that you managed to pronounce my surname. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's geek out about product.
0: Well, before we do that, why is your agency called a sandwich? Why, why there's a sandwich in the name?
1: I'll be honest with you. Uh, there's no backstory. Uh, it was a good.com. It was a catchy name. Uh, back then, uh, all the domain names that had the growth in front uh, were considered to be cool. And I'm very bored of rebranding.
0: Okay. (laughs) No, I I feel you. (laughs) Okay, so uh, that's good. (laughs) That makes sense. You are a big advocate of customer-led growth and companies hire you as someone who specifically helps them in this area. So what exactly is customer-led growth? Like how does it differ
1: from, from other models? Customer-led growth basically leverages mainly qualitative research to help a company drive product and growth decisions. Now, how does it differ? Um, When it comes to sales-led growth or marketing-led approach or the product-led growth, these three main um, approaches have basic differences. When it comes to customer-led growth, it's the, it's the lead that confuses us and make us think that it's a fourth one. In fact, even if you are sales-led, marketing-led, or product-led, you need to leverage qualitative research in order to take product and growth decisions. The difference is that Absolutely. qualitative research, research becomes the center of what you do. Um, that's the difference. Uh, because we believe that uh, through the customer, through the, the, deep, uh, the deepest fears, incentives, motivations of the customer, we can build an insanely good product, we put it at the center of the decision making process.
0: So it's s- similar in some ways to product-led in, on a very high level,
1: on a but very- it's different. On a very high level, it's uh, extremely complementary to product-led growth. Uh, product-led cannot survive without a strong customer-led approach, but I would say that customer-led also fits perfectly with a sales-led approach and with a marketing-led approach. In fact, a very good way to be customer-led is to switch back to being sales-led for a little bit. Why? because you have salespeople, so you have an extra human interaction, which is a great opportunity to do qualitative research. So the more you interact with uh, the customer on a human level, the more opportunities you have to do qualitative research, and the better you can actually become product-led afterwards.
0: Totally. So it sounds like, so customer-led model is, is there, this element, exists in sales-led, of course, and in product-led, because you can't build a product with a customer. But d- does the, is the main difference between customer-led and product-led, for example, or sales-led, is the degree of how much uh, you look at the customer data, or is there some other difference,
1: the big you, one? You're not just looking at the customer data. You are doing advanced qualitative research, which isn't something that happens in every product-led business out there. Not every product-led business has uh, an internal user research team that drives product and growth decisions. Of course, product-led teams have UX at their core, so by definition, they're more research-driven, but that doesn't mean that they put it at the center of every decision that they're taking when it comes to both growth and product. Did I answer your question?
0: Yeah, totally. No, that totally makes sense. So it's it's uh it's your like laser focus specifically on the customer. How deep you go how deep do you go into the customer research, like qualitative wise? Like, what uh, do you do there?
1: That's where the high what that's where the difference is um, mainly highlighted because when it comes to customer led growth, we go very deep. We go we are almost performing some sort of psychotherapeutic user interview. Uh, that after it, the user has revealed things that in any other circumstance they wouldn't reveal. So it's a different way of uh, taking the customer request. It's not just asking what is it that you want us to build. We go deep into the pro- into the problems, into uh, what keeps them um, what keeps them where they are, what motivates them to switch, what motivates them to change the way that they're doing things into their daily lives, uh, into, into fears, into motivations, into a lot of details, insane, ridiculous details that, um, mm. you know what, If uh, if you speak with a customer-led company, you can understand and you can empathize with how different they speak about their customer, for example, because they give you a ridiculous detail. Ridiculous details about their customers. They know stuff that you couldn't even imagine that they could know. So, for example, they could tell you that our customer is between this age and that age, works in uh, agencies, let's say, Uh, geographically speaking, uh, they are placed in Europe. They work in their company for two years at least. They are not VP level, but not even a manager level because managers are very close to the product and they don't have decision-making power. VPs are far from the product and uh, they do have decision-making power, but they don't understand the problem. So we need someone in the middle. So most probably the, the title that comes with them is that. And they need to have a promotion within the company in the last three years. And uh, before that, they had the marketing background. And here are three Mm. qualifiers to use during the conversation to be 100% sure that they're your ideal customer profile. So things happen (laughs) in a crazy detail.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, no, that's, honestly, I would love to hear one of those interviews because uh, it, it sounds like job to be done on steroids plus a lot of other stuff on top of that.
1: It's exactly that, exactly as you said. It's uh, very jobs to be done driven, very jobs to be done inspired. I'm not uh, while I am jobs to be done a jobs to be done advocate, I don't think it's the only way to do things. and I don't think it's the following the the jobs to be done timeline and the jobs to be done forces is uh, is um, like a rule, a law that we have to use. Uh, but uh, speaking about the problem on an outcome driven manner, trying to understand what the customer wants to achieve and why, and a lot of why's after that, uh, is necessary in order to be considered product-led, uh, customer-led. I was,
0: I, was, I was doing a product, uh, it was like a product app interview and I was um, considered a customer mm-hmm. and it was about crypto investment. Mm-hmm. And when they asked me a lot of questions and they went deeper and deeper, they're like, why are you doing invest? And I'm like, at some point, I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> I never thought of that. I'm like, I invested, it makes sense. But then they're asking, so what was the emotional component in it? I'm like, I don't. I need to think about it. I don't have a clear answer. So it's, it's, it's tough to really understand what the customers are trying to do. I don't know what it was trying to do.
1: In this specific example, this question would indeed be difficult because uh, a better question would be, what is it that you're trying to achieve by investing? And that would create a good basis for a conversation around um, what happens in your psychology behind investing. But if I just ask you, why do you invest? Yes, sometimes you're just stuck. You don't know. Uh, Because what? Because I wanna be, I wanna feel successful. Well, make more
0: money. Make more money, I mean, that's pretty
1: standard. Yes, but this is a functional thing. This is a functional outcome. In most cases, we have both functional and emotional outcomes and social outcomes. So reality would be, because I wanna make more money, because I want to be perceived as more successful and because I want to be perceived as more attractive. For example, I'm just saying Noah. So if if you uncover, if you only stick to the functional outcomes, then you're missing a lot of the bigger picture and therefore that doesn't help you first create the perfect product and second communicate it in a perfect way.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, no, that 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 is uh, that is true. Because you you actually take the the actual customer words and put them into the, the copy, put them into the description, so they are like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Exactly. I'm jealous. What's the? Why are you not a fan of product led model? In simple terms, what's something that you, you you, hate? I'm not gonna say hate hate about it, but, kinda.
1: You know, I was a big fan of the product-led approach, and I still am. Um, but I'm uh, a fan of the, of the main idea that comes with it, that um, the, product, the product experience is a very important thing. Now, the product-led growth um, community, generally speaking, uh, follows the same path as growth hacking at the moment, in my point, of view, in, in in my view. Which means that it tends to become a buzzword. Everybody wants it. Few people really know what it is. So you see lots of investors. Like and a buzzword. Exactly. <laughs> lots of companies uh, want to be product-led. But they're not ready to be product-led. But they want to be product-led. Why? Because it's not... They should be product-led, otherwise they're not cool, otherwise their investors will not perceive them as good as as cool companies. So you see businesses that haven't figured other basic things that they cannot really detach themselves from a sales-led approach and in fact they shouldn't because business goes perfectly on a sales-led manner and they want to be product-led. And I work with some of them. I used to work with some of them. And when I tell them that, you know what, you're not ready to be product-led. If you get product-led, I can make you product-led tomorrow if you want, but this will backfire, probably, on your short-term revenue. So I won't do it. Find someone else to do it for you.
0: So that's why yeah, you make the switch, you make the switch from sales to product, then you like you're not going to get you, you, you're going to have a dip, which is probably going to be a little bit deeper and longer than what you, you expected.
1: Exactly. That's the first thing. And uh, um, another important thing is that uh, people, when when they want to be product led, they don't realize what will happen in the conversion rates of their funnel. They don't realize that being product-led means that you are going to drop a lot of money on the top of the funnel because all of your mid-funnel conversion rates will get minimal. Will go from 15 or 20% Mm to 2%. So they don't get that before doing the switch. And the third reason that I tend not to be a big fan of the community uh, these days is because I think that, generally speaking, during, especially during the COVID pandemic, we are seeking for the human factor more in our lives. So it's a, it's unfortunate yes. that the, this product-led growth um, trend has exploded a little bit before a pandemic that kept us, kept all individuals into their homes, seeking for the human touch. So I think that the you cannot we cannot eradicate the human factor from any value proposition out there. The human factor has, has a position and being product led isn't a silver bullet for everything.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think like if you have all those apps like Uber or, uh, small apps in a sense that when you want to ask somebody a question, they always walk you through screens. You can uh, you cannot ever chat to a real person that removes, that is such an in- experience that removes you from. Like, it just it, it doesn't allow you to touch the company in a way. Like, it always, like, you can't talk to a person, there's no phone number, there's no email, there's nothing. And there are quite a lot of apps like that, and uh, it's, it's a pretty not great experience. Like,
1: well, you could submit a ticket, maybe we'll reach out to you if we feel like it. Exactly, and uh, some people perceive that as product-led. You can have a demo, have the human factor giving empathy to the people at the times that the, the, the person needs empathy, and still be product-led. So it's not always about transforming ourselves into being product-led. It might be into optimizing ourselves into being product-led, optimizing certain things that can be optimized, that can be product-led, and keeping the human factor either untouched or just increasing the capacity of our human factor through a product-led approach. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't be a transformation. That would be an optimization. And check out Intercom. So remember Intercom's free trial? Yeah. Doesn't exist of anymore. Course. Intercom now gives demos. Mm-hmm. The product-led company, Intercom, doesn't let you experience a product before you speak with someone. Isn't that ironic?
0: <laughs> it, is. It, it is. Well, but, but they understand. I think they understand that, like what you said, that is that it's not just one, it's not there's like, product led and that's it like we are uh this is our religion like they understand that look there's other things and the hybrid is much stronger and better way forward exactly
1: exactly intercom gets it pando gets it which is like one of the biggest advocates of product led and uh, you need to get a demo and then they offer you like a year plan not even a month by month subscription it product led free trials freemiums those are insane things but the the core value behind them is that uh, give value to people before they make their decision that's 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 the let them let them see show don't tell that's the principle but that doesn't mean we need to make everything show don't tell otherwise they won't work that's 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 a that's a limiting belief of our community at the moment I think
0: 100% and I would say in pretty much any area whether it's finance, whether it's, it's a product or, or sales. When anybody has a polarizing opinion, like only do this, it's like black and white, and they're super aggressive, usually that is a red flag. And from my experience, what I found, especially in crypto, if somebody says, this is it that's the only way to do it that that's everything else is awful or everything else just doesn't make sense whenever those polarizing opinions show up it's usually well first it's not true it's not accurate but it also shows that the person is over investing or they probably have a certain belief that is not correct because all every single decision is in balance they all have a certain pro and con and and that's when somebody says no 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 the one, one one way that's almost never works like that
1: and just to connect what you just said which was very very helpful um, to research these people also uh, choose the part of the narrative that fits their opinion Um, and uh, us as product managers when we do that this is called confirmation bias and researchers bias Mm -hmm. so sometimes we do that as product managers we might consider a feature very good or, or as founders as well. And we might ask questions like, do you like this feature? And expecting from people to tell us what? That no, your feature sucks, I hate it, I will never use it, no, <laughs> of course they won't do it. They will never do it in the UK, they will never do it in Canada, they might do it in Greece or in Germany, people are more straightforward there, but still, we will be too shy to tell you that we, that we hate your new feature. So this Absolutely. is a biased question from the beginning. It, it's, to,
0: it's, it's, a, it's a beautifully led question that is 99% of the time will deliver what you wanna hear. Exactly. Uh, that's probably the reason they ask it, but it's, it's like, okay, well, it, it's more of a check mark. Did we ask it? Yes, we did. So let's proceed.
1: Exactly. And uh, you know, what, what is very common at the moment is that um, you ask people, how much time do you spend uh, with, uh, with your customers, talking to your customers? And they tell you a lot. And um, and I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm happy. When I hear companies speaking with their customers, I'm, I'm, I'm happy by principle. But then when I, when I see questions like that, I know that this creates trash in, trash out. Because if I base my decision making on a question, do you like our product or do you like this feature? And 80% of the people tell me, yes, we like it. And then I go to the next question, then it's very easy for me to launch something, to spend six months on building something, three months on building something, consider the engineering and product resources that are needed to build an integra- a complex integration, That's for insane. example. It's insane. And for a seed level company or even an A-series company, and then on top of them the marketing cost to promote it, if this gets wrong and then I need to revert it, the cost is so high that it can be as high as the life of my company at this stage. So people don't realize that, and I don't want to create fear in the audience, but this is true. Such a little question repetitively can lead you to a mistake that can lead to your death, like your company's death, period. It's that simple.
0: It's true, it's true, because it's uh it's these little things that that really make a big difference especially once you start coding and you already promised your VCs or angels or whoever invested in you it's just that train it's difficult to stop and then it becomes Theranos hopefully it doesn't exactly, exactly. Uh, well how do you rephrase that a jealous like so let's say we little just take that question like do you like this feature how would you rephrase that
1: uh, at first, I wouldn't ask better about. better to say it. Uh, at least, uh, give me a little bit more, more context. Have I launched the feature, or am I doing research to see if they want me to build the feature that I already have in my backlog? What What happens? Yeah, it's the, the second. It's the second. You're still doing research. Okay, then I would try to ask um, associated questions without saying about the feature, uh, such as. Uh, what are the what are the top challenges that you are facing at the moment? The when it comes to and then I mention the vertical that I'm in. They tell yeah. you um, it's uh, this, that, and this, and then you say, "Oh, you mentioned this. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?" So. B- by associated question, associated questions, you go towards this little thing that your new feature is planning to do without mentioning the feature at all. The user shouldn't know that is being interviewed about a new feature. The user needs to know that we are speaking about a problem, that there is no structure in the conversation. It's a very chill conversation that doesn't have a structure and that we're talking about a specific problem and then when we reach this problem that the, is connected to this new feature we start asking more questions tell me more about it this is a good question actually tell me more about it what do you mean by that anything unstructured open exactly open-ended questions what do you mean by that why are you saying this uh, five minutes ago you mentioned it's like it's, a
0: therapy A jealousy, it's like a therapy uh, yeah, exactly. Right, like when you go to, to your therapist, like, so what do you think about that? So you have nightmares, so, so it, it's super open-ended, short questions, and free-flowing, and then they pick something exactly. Ca- they they in their own words repeat it back to you, and then you go deeper, 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 and you're like, okay, now I feel much much calmer.
1: Exactly, this is uh these are the techniques of paraphrasing and reflection, which are massively used in psychotherapy and uh, are part of the trans-theoretical model uh, of psychotherapy. And I'm, I'm studying that, by the way. <laughs> right, I, I love it too. Um, and uh, also part of the trans-theoretical um, model, um, if you see the stages of decision-making of the trans-theoretical uh, model, which is basically how we decide about doing a change in our life, it's almost identical with the jobs to be done timeline. And when you see the, the forces, the jobs to be done forces, are almost identical with the trans-theoretical model forces. So there is a specific way that people are thinking. So if you ask them biased questions, mm-hmm. you will get biased answers. You need to know how to ask them questions in order to get the right answers and lead by not leading the conversation. Lead, be the leader of that by not getting the answer that you want. Totally.
0: I wanted to ask you, I'm curious what you're going to say. Uh, Steve Jobs, uh, I know whenever Steve Jobs' name is mentioned, especially in product community, there's a massive amount of skepticism. Everybody's like kind of already giggling like, oh my God, here it goes again. Let's like, we're going to talk about his genius. No, but what I wanted to say was uh, his his principle or his belief was like, look, customers don't know what they want uh, and we don't do user research. There's a little bit of a myth in there somewhere. What is your take on this whole thing? How do you think
1: about that? Oh, I definitely agree that users don't know what they want. And in fact, I have built a, a canvas. Uh, it's called the Value Gap Canvas. And uh, this is, uh, basically illustrates the gap between the perception of value that the user come in into your product to get, and the actual value that you are delivering. And if you see on the left side of the canvas, I have something written there that says biases from the past. And what does that mean specifically is that the perception of value that users expect is always biased from what they have seen already in their lives, from what they have experienced in competitor products. So if we would strictly ask customers what do they want us to build, we we would have some sort of um, um, oligopoly, where we, every solution would be almost the same. And I know that uh, for uh, for a fact, because last time that I worked, for example, with a video conferencing solution, eighty percent of their product roadmap was features that Zoom had. Should they have built them? Not at all, because they didn't have the resources the strategic mindset or the power to go head to head on a feature level with Zoom. They should have differentiated themselves and that's what they did. So it proved that 85%, 80% of the roadmap, which was customer driven because they were asking the customers, was wrong. Here it is. What What do you think about it? And this company company was customer driven. They were asking the customers what they wanted, right?
0: but it's it's uh clever because in the way because if you look at what they did internally it sounds like they are customer driven but if you maybe look at it look at it from the outside it looks they they are competitor driven because they're copying zoom but back to your point it's that the customers are going to look at zoom because they have never seen anything else so like how could they imagine instead of a phone with a keyboard physical keyboard a touch phone that actually works well they can't imagine that there's no way they would exactly. like to have some kind of that some, some gadget that actually does these things, but they have never even thought of because they never experienced any of that.
1: Because exactly. And to go back to your point about Steve Jobs, I, I don't believe that they weren't doing research. I just think that they, what he wanted to illustrate is that we are not building what users ask us to build. They were doing some research, focusing on the emotional parts, they may, they perhaps were doing other sort of research, behavioral research, and that they were coming up with the solutions based on the research. And this is pretty much what we have to do with us as product managers. We're not here to build what customers tell us. We are here to decide what we're going to build. Customers are the worst to tell us what we should build. Customers, on the other hand, are great to tell us about their problems. And then we Need to figure out how we are going to solve their problems if we build what customers tell us then we restrict innovation and that's what steve jobs p- perhaps wanted to say that you know what we innovate because we are visionaries and we are not really restricting our imagination based on uh, what people think that they want in fact it's impossible that they wouldn't have any sort of research uh, they tested their products uh, but probably that's what he 100%. meant
0: yeah, no, it's it's also like if you look at even Apple's recent computers with uh, M1, their new Apple Apple CPU, the, the the early models didn't really have that much power, but the efficiency that you see and when you experience that unbelievable efficiency where you do all the heavy load tasks on your computer and it's at 35 degrees and the fans actually are they're not even spinning, that is something that. As an uh, Apple user, for example, for me, for the last 12 years, I've never ever seen before. I didn't even know that was possible because you, you, we, we are using this Intel machines that are they're loud. They're like they're baking hot all the time. And now if we are now, I have a reference point. Now we, have, we could have a conversation. But before I would have never even imagined that it's just difficult because you never I've never seen that before in any computer because it never existed
1: exactly exactly that's a very good example and uh just to add up on that again uh, you mentioned again the, the functional part any apple product has a, and that's that's what we call branding it also has the emotional jobs that that is doing in the same time for the users and sometimes these are more important sometimes only sometimes when it comes to, to hardware unfortunately the the, the emotional part um, complements the functional. If you don't have the functional, the emotional will collapse at some point. You build the emotional mm. by establishing the functional first. And that's what Apple was doing, has done. They were building very good computers and electronics for quite some time. And at some point, they focused on building the emotional part and be the number one brand of electronics in the world. And they did it. And they were doing that for plenty of years. They focused on building the best computers for more than a decade or two decades, and then they switched into the emotional part.
0: Yeah, because, and then I think that's what a lot of critics don't really get, or they totally miss is that they, they talk about high prices and, and they call Apple fans, sheeps and and all of those names. But the truth is that uh, this whole model, Apple model would not work. If there were no fundamental reasons for their superiority, and they are, if you exactly. actually look at the hardware, if you take it apart, if you look at the microscope, if you x-ray the technology, that the, the actual technology they have, um, it is phenomenal. It is really state of the art. And yes, you ha- you could have all the ads and everything, but but there is a solid reason for people to go with it, well, much more than just the logo and the color. Of course, Apple will over-index on that because they have all this. Lit, call it retail, not retail investors, but but normal people who would buy iPhones and it's a high margin product. That's more of a business decision, but the fundamentals are always have been there.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: What do you think, Ageles? What, what are your thoughts on what could product managers or what do they need to get better at right now? If they are working in, let's say, a mid-size B2B tech company or B2C tech company, What could they be doing to get better at building products, talking to customers? What are some of the practices they should consider maybe that's something they're not doing right now?
1: What they definitely are not doing is uh, they don't talk with their customers enough. Uh, And the second thing that they're not doing is that they're not leveraging internal human resources that are Talking to customers anyway to use them as mini res- researchers, to transform them into mini researchers. And that's one of the, the best and most scalable tactics that product managers can use if they don't have enough time. They can use existing touch points with the customer, either physical touch points or digital touch points, to do some research. And these are the moment that we are selling and the moment our user churns. We have, at this point, we have either a salesperson, an onboarding, a, ch- a cancellation survey, or even a, ca- a customer success person speaking with the, the user that is planning to churn or has just churned. So we have both the human interaction and some capacity from the user to answer us a question. And these are amazing opportunities to do research that is consistent and on a weekly basis and not just ad hoc user interviews or an ad hoc survey that product managers are doing every time that they remember that they have neglected this task or every time that they just (laughs) need it. Um, It's better to have some consistent research taking place. Uh, So this this is something that I would definitely advise them to do. And when it comes to actually speaking with customers, look, uh, I don't want to make this like super hard so that I'm considered uh, indispensable, but uh, there is a rule. Uh, Don't tell me what I should answer. Ask open-ended questions. Try doing that. Start with that. Join conversations with a very open mind, without like, being predetermined on what the conversation needs to contain. Ask open-ended yeah. questions and let the empathy work. The uh, As product managers, sometimes we get uh, quite um, passionate about our, our toys, our mix panels, and our pandos and our graphs, and uh, our fancy buzzwords and we discuss and sometimes we don't really take into consideration what customer success is saying or what sales is telling us. We consider them trouble sometimes. They're all stupid anyways, like we know the best. (laughs) Exactly. We are a little bit uptight when it comes to what needs to be done. And I get it, it is our job to say no. But, but, there is a but here. And uh, this but is that these people are bringing the empathy if we don't have it, right? and uh, the empathy is the best way to be a good product manager, even if you're not very sophisticated about quantitative stuff and data and uh, graphs, and that's, and that's the reason that I became that sort of product manager, to be honest, because I don't like mm. hardcore data. I never enjoyed them. I find them complex, inhumane, and, I, and it make, make them, make, they make me sleepy
0: yeah yeah I mean it's also like disconnected right like it's not something you you experience or you touch it's like look like, like it's it's it takes a so, very different mindset of people to be into that
1: exactly exactly yes yes there versus are some if people you're into
0: psychotherapy love- like that psychotherapy is a completely different part it's 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 all quant- qualitative qualitative it's you talking to customers, you understand the customers you do interviews well, and you're different personality it's like accountant versus
1: Um, a tv host like they're quite different folks exactly exactly in uh, in the customer-led approach we don't only have interviews we might have surveys we might have observation we have other ways of primary research but uh, we focus mostly on the qualitative part or what i what i what i like saying the quantification of the qualitative part because if i If I have a question, which is, what is it that you want to achieve with my product? This is a qualitative question. But after 10 or 15 interviews, I might have a couple of answers that are consistent. If I take these answers and I make them a drop down menu, then it becomes a quantitative question. So I quantified a qualitative question. And these are good things to do, mixing qualitative and quantitative tactics for scale or depth to achieve both of them. The quantitative brings you the scale and the qualitative brings you the why, the depth.
0: Back to the hybrid. Don't do black and white. Anything black and white is probably not a good idea. (laughs) Exactly. It's the way to build an Amazon Fire phone that only lasted for, well, not that long.
1: (laughs) uh, I've I've read about Uh, another. I was was gonna ask you. Oh yeah, go ahead. um, I've read about another, the, the Google Glasses. Have you heard of them? Example.
0: Oh, yeah, the first generation.
1: First generation failed miserably. Second generation was focused on uh, farmers. So they instead of being a a gadget, they made it like a a solution for farmers. Nailed it. Boom. They did research. They changed the ICP. (laughs) Nailed it. The same product. Almost the same product.
0: But it was... It was too geeky for like the first generation was just weird. Like for normal people, like, like, it, it, they, like you can't like who thought it was a great idea. Like it's also the social factor that people are always over indexing on opinions of other people around them because they, mm-hmm. we really care what others think about it us. And why would somebody think like, oh, we're just going to put the glasses on. We're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger and in a Terminator and everybody's going to be suddenly OK with it no that's just never gonna work (laughs) that's true Hindsights, hindsight of course uh i was gonna ask you what what were your one or two big breakthrough moments in your career if you were to go back and think about you, you think through your career path as a product manager what were some of the discoveries or things that maybe people you met that actually significantly changed the way that you were doing things before, mm-hmm. you could um, call them more like a wake-up call moments or some of those.
1: The first time, was, the first one was the when I realized that uh, I'm not talented enough when it comes to the quantitative stuff. I don't enjoy because it, it was the time that everybody had to be data-driven, and I was struggling to be data-driven because I never enjoyed opening up. My dashboard of graphs and uh, complex uh, correlations and stuff like that. Never enjoyed that a lot. Uh, so I had to pick mm-hmm. I had to pick a direction. Uh, where I going to be a um, a qualitative product manager, a quantitative product manager, a a growth product manager? I had to to decide. so i I read my first book on jobs to be done, and that was the first uh, breakthrough. And the second breakthrough, was, when at some point, I, I knew that, but I realized then I experienced it firsthand, that most of the problems, nine out of 10 problems, that businesses have, are symptoms, are reflections, are expressions of the real problem. Exactly just like therapy works. When you go to your therapist with Depression, it might be your relationship with your mom, your early one. When you go to your therapist because you had a breakup that hurt you, you might realize that this was just a reason that led you there. And there were other things that you had to discuss that were burning inside you. When it comes to churn, what is churn? It's users coming with an expectation and finding a reality that doesn't work for them. That's it. It's a discrepancy between actual value and expected value. What is a marketing problem? Is it uh, a matter of the copy that you're using in your ads? No. Is it a matter of the targeting that (laughs) you're having? Nobody cares. What matters when your marketing doesn't work is that you are communicating something that does not resonate with the people that see it. So it's a bigger problem. What is it that you communicate? Why, to whom? Have you used any research to drive that? So these are the, this was the second breakthrough and I realized then that I wanna be a customer-led product manager and I wanna put qualitative research because I feel, I don't, I don't know if this sounds arrogant and I apologize, I feel that I can solve every problem with qualitative research. Mm-hmm or at least find, find the, the root of the problem.
0: No, it doesn't sound arrogant at all to me. I mean, I think companies who over indexed on customers always did super well and, and, and data look, I think you have, every company has a ton of folks who are crazy good at data, so they'll give the report to you. You could read it. And that's it. Like you don't, I don't, I I personally don't think a product manager needs to run some crazy Excel formulas and, and you don't have to do everything yourself. It's like, what is going to move the actual needle? And a lot of times, it's not that like, Oh, this is the the biggest number we have. Let's just double it. Or let's just do something with that number. It's important. You're like, you want to look at it, but it's, it's that, that what you just said, it's, it's talking to, talking to customers and understanding what they're trying to say that's where it becomes quite difficult. And a lot of people don't do it very well. It's the same as interviewing.
1: Exactly. <laughs> it needs, uh, <laughs> it's a difficult skill. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that's a difficult thing because I, I, I always wanted to scale what I do and perhaps have an agency or something uh, and have people doing it for me. But it's, a, it's something that it, it's very hard for me to teach uh, because it does, it, it, if it was something that could, could be put into a, a recipe, um, it wouldn't be important. It w- we would hire That's people right. and they would just follow a script. Y- you cannot have scripted conversations. You need to have both the, the theoretical background to do it and the speed of thought to do it at this point in time and some experience. So it, it's an unscalable service very, very unscalable, but very useful in the same time.
0: But the, but the magic is, and uh, I know David Cancel uh, from Drift, CEO of Drift, and, and I've heard it from other people, is doing these unscalable things is super important because sometimes you, then you figure out how to scale them, but sometimes when you don't figure out them how to scale them, it's still beneficial because then you could communicate your value to whoever you're working with and show them exactly why it's unscalable and that, look, you could go ahead and hire anybody right now on Fiverr or on Upwork, but, and the truth is they'll be able to do some of that work, like the admin stuff that that we do, they could do it, but it's those points of incremental value, those ideas, those insights that you deliver sometimes, they, they do one 100X of the return. And those are the things that you'll never, ever, ever get from those outsourced force. You can do the grunt work, you can do the research, but uh, the actual, like this is the direction we're gonna go. This is where we need another customer interview. Those calls are rarely outsourced.
1: Yes, and uh, another thing that happens very frequently in, uh, in my field is that you will either find the product managers that don't know exactly how to do research, or you will find the researchers that don't understand product so they don't really know how to, uh, how to manage the conversation because they don't really know what this conversation means from a decision making point of view. That's right. This is, this is the difference between what I do and I understand, that's a little bragging here, but I, I just want to explain, I cannot avoid the bragging, is when you do the research, if you also understand what decisions will be made based on what you're listening then you can manage the conversation in a different way. Because if I only, uh, if I'm a researcher and I don't understand that, oh, he's speaking about an integration now, for example, or he's speaking about something that needs three weeks of engineering only, but what he says now is like three months of engineering. If I don't get that, this, this is a direct impact on how I'm managing the conversation on a customer led way
0: because because the best interviews are always 100% context-driven. It's not the, it's the questions that you ask by interpreting the, the, whatever the answer you get in the moment. They're exactly. never, ever, ever prescripted. You're not gonna get them in the book. You're not gonna get them in jobs to be done. That's just, that's just not gonna happen. So having that experience allows you to ask a correct contextual question to get to the bottom of three weeks development. And that's when you actually get to Hey, this was a productive conversation. Versus, they give you a, they give you a clue, and you just moved away and went somewhere else because you didn't understand what it meant. So you not because you didn't you couldn't connect it back to the actual product, the technical part.
1: Exactly, and you can, you cannot imagine how pleased customers are when you ask them about their problems, and they start speaking and speaking and speaking, and they never shut up. Sometimes they don't stop and you're you're like yes give it to me give it to me baby that's exactly why i'm here yes. <laughs> they love it they love go, it go, go have nuts <laughs> they love it when they go speak about their problems much, yeah. uh, and uh, when you show uh, like genuine interest and you are, sometimes sometimes we get a little annoying uh, and that's a, that's another tip by the way um, when when you are when you're asking like uh, a lot of why's even sometimes you might be sure you you will be sure that Oh, that's exactly what they mean. So I don't need to ask why I don't need to ask what they mean because I understand what they mean. This is another mistake. Okay, if you are very experienced, you might do it. It's inevitable that when something it's obvious to save some time you go to the next question. But technically speaking, you will realize that when you believe that you understand what they mean and what they actually mean in lots of cases is different. So, unless they specifically, explicitly say it, you mm-hmm. cannot technically count it as an insight. So, sometimes I find myself asking, What do you mean by that? And the customer is like, Is he stupid? I mean, it's impossible that he doesn't (laughs) understand what I mean. And I'm like, and I apologize. I I apologize if my question seems bizarre to you. But uh, can you tell me what do you mean by? I wanna do better. And we both know what he (laughs) means. (laughs) But it's but I wanna do better. I wanna do better is very vague for me. I cannot make any decision with it.
0: well it's it's that those subtleties that yes I've, I've experienced them too like oh my like that's just such a dumb conversation it's all downhill from here <laughs> but it's necessary it's a necessary downhill to then exactly. go back up exactly <laughs> i it was super fun thank you this was awesome i love this conversation i'm sure our audience can enjoy it too we're going to work on this cut it into cool clips and put it on, on on social media thank you for coming thank you for sharing your insights this was this was tremendous
1: Uh, It was a great conversation for me as well. Thank you very much. Uh, And uh, I hope uh, it is helpful for people that will uh, listen to it.
0: Thank you guys for listening. This was another episode of Product Innovation Show with Jealous. We will post the links, post everything soon uh, for you. Thank you for following us, subscribing. We're going to be back with another great product person.